Hi everybody, I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to It's All About Food. This podcast is produced by the nonprofit organization Responsible Eating and Living, R-E-A-L, Real. Just go to responsibleeatingandliving.com. You can hear every episode of this podcast broadcast since 2009, archived at the site, along with so much more. Delicious recipes and articles and videos. One of the things I like to say on this podcast is learn how to solve most of the world's problems today and do it deliciously. And we give you the truth and tools to do that. I have to admit, I'm very excited to introduce today's guests. I have with me Moby. Moby is... Hi. Hi. I want to introduce you, (laughs) even though I think everyone knows who you are. Moby is an American musician, songwriter, singer, producer, animal rights activist. The bio goes on forever. But we're going to be focusing on, I think, what is a new project for you, being the writer and director of a documentary. Welcome, Moby. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I imagine you're you're doing a million of these interviews promoting your new documentary. Yeah, uh, but it's interesting because obviously I've never made a movie before, and so there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of interesting stuff that I get to talk about. Um, I mean, specifically around animal rights activism, but it's quite a lot different going out into the world talking about veganism and animal rights and making a movie and punk rock as opposed to going out and talking about making another record. Well, I appreciate that you're taking advantage of your platform of people who adore your music to share this very important message, which I know is uh, not just a passion of yours, but your life work is helping to create a world where animals and all sentient beings simply are free to live their own lives. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously like, I assume you, like people who are listening, like there are a lot of things in the world that I love to do. And there are a lot of things that I find incredibly interesting, but nothing for me is more important than working to advance animal rights. Like that is like everything else pales in importance. Um, And one of the only regrets I have is that I don't know how to do more. You know, like I, it's just really frustrating as I'm sure that you've experienced, I'm sure lots of people experienced when like you look at a world where approximately 1 trillion animals, including sea animals a year are killed by and for humans when we're destroying their habitats and we don't know how to stop it. And I just wish there was the magic button that, I could push that would just simply allow every sentient being to live its own life according to its own will. We share that same wish. I understand you've been vegan for 35 years. I'm only at 34 years. (laughs) Yeah, I saw, I I did a little research beforehand. I saw that you went vegan in 1988 and I was like, ah, I win again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I do know a few people that are ahead of you. But, I only um, know one, um, which is Gene from Farm Sanctuary. Ah. And yeah, 
uh, and there are a few, okay. And, and because I'm a small petty person, I almost don't want to know about people who've been vegan longer than me. Cause I like, <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, I don't have much else going on. So I'll just take, take the fact that I've been vegan longer than a lot of people as one of the only sort of like claims to fame I have. Okay. Well, I'll give that to you now. You may not remember this. I didn't remember it very well, but we spoke back in 2010 on this podcast when the podcast was only one year old. It was a baby podcast. And now there are so many wonderful vegan podcasts out there. We talked about the book Gristle. I enjoyed reading that and all the different offerings that were in that little book that were very powerful. But one of the things we talked about, and I want to get back to that, is that how our approach, your approach, my approach, other vegans, how our approach has changed over the years in activism. We talked about being angry vegans and learning that a gentler touch, a gentler approach seems to be more effective. And now you've gone into this documentary. Can you talk about how perhaps your activism has changed since 2010? Yeah. Um, I guess in a way, and it's such a, it's a wonderful question. Um, I guess that one of the big changes from my perspective, and I, again, I, I have a feeling I'm potentially, I don't want to be so presumptuous, but I think I'm potentially speaking for quite a lot of people where a huge part of our activism was the belief that when you present people with information, they will change their minds and their actions. You know, when you go to people and you say, hey, you love animals, why are you eating them? They'll stop. Or you go to people and you say, hey, don't you wanna be healthier and prevent climate change and stop rainforest deforestation and protect the oceans and prevent pandemics and, and antibiotic resistance and cut healthcare costs by 75%, you assume that people's answer would be why yes I do. And then the next response would be for them to go vegan. Like you, I guess my activism was always based on the idea that ultimately people will be rational and do the right thing. And as we've seen, I just don't, that's not the case. Like <laughs> we, we can, you know, we have all the, every argument is on our side. Like we have all the data, we have mountains of data, we have so much information, we have so many images. We have the fact that people already like animals, but everyone continues to kill and eat animals. And so part of my activism now is a sort of, I, if I'm being completely honest, it's an almost sort of existential nihilism, which, but that sounds too dark because I, it, like I'm not despairing necessarily. I'm just completely nonplussed in the actual sense. Like people, that's one of those words that I'm sure I misuse, but lots of people misuse. But I'm I'm just baffled. I assumed that at this point, a like a significant percentage of people would have recognized that using animals for food and sport and fashion is simply a terrible idea and we should stop. Uh, and I, I understand. I'm, just, I'm sorry. And last, I'm just so like, so baffled that we haven't 
Like some people have gotten to that point, but we are in such a tiny minority. So that's one way that the activism has changed is I just entered the point of being like, okay, I'm not going to stop, but boy, oh boy, am I confused at people's unwillingness to change. And I'm sure you have many friends and colleagues and family that are interested in the planet, in the environment, and living a good life, and are educated, and yet the light has not gone on. It's really, like, as you said, baffling. Yeah, I don't, and, and like, uh, it, it reminds me a little bit, there's this a movie, unfortunately, it had Mel Gibson, but it was with Sigourney Weaver, um, <laughs> and I don't, and Helen, oh man, what was it even called? Oh, it was about, Indonesia and at the end the protagonist is so despondent at the corruption at the fascism that they're living under they're just sitting in front of a typewriter typing over and over again saying like what more can we do what more can we do what and like I sort of feel like that character in the movie like what more can we do like how how do you finally get people to live rationally, to not even just live compassionately, but just live rationally, like live in a way that doesn't destroy themselves and the only home we have, and in the process kills a trillion animals a year. I sometimes think that I am a descendant of an alien, not from this planet. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it's, uh, I was listening to an Ezra Klein podcast mm. a while ago, and because, you know, it's interesting. He's he's a very fascinating voice for animal rights. Um, in that he's not overt all the time, but like it's always sort of there. But he was talking to a, a, like a futurologist, someone who was like an anthropologist looking at you know the, the the trajectory and course of our civilization. And the person he was talking to said pretty much the hardest question for future, the most baffling question for future generations, assuming there are future generations, is going to be, what were we doing with animals? And I don't even know if this guy who was being interviewed on Ezra's podcast was a vegan, but he's basically saying like, it's the most inconsistent, horrifying aspect of our culture, but yet it largely proceeds unquestioned. So Sorry for my my rambling answer, but like I don't get a chance to talk about this too often, and uh, yeah, it, it's yeah. it's mind boggling. Well, it's my pleasure to be able to talk about this with you. Now, I'm sure you want to talk a little bit about the movie, the punk rock vegan movie. I have to say, I watched it twice yesterday, and I was really surprised, as you say in the in the press text about how surprising it is, and it was surprising for me. I personally, I'm not making any judgments, but it's clear that I've been judging all of my life. <laughs> uh, I, I've never gotten into punk rock. I am a singer. I'm focused more on musical theater and opera. It's a very different kind of music. And I never imagined that those people that I saw associated <laughs> with punk rock were going through the same some of the same things that I was going through over the last decades. 
just blew my mind that these were kind and compassionate and thinking intellectual people. So yeah, that's well, what you just I'm I'm thrilled to hear you say that because that's the whole reason I made the movie. Like, I don't really want to be a film director. It's not on my like list of like career goals. Um, and I don't even know if I've done a good job with this movie. I mean, like I made it myself in a very DIY way. And it's, I know it's very idiosyncratic and a lot of people will probably hate it. Luckily I never read reviews. Um, but the genesis of it is I was talking to a whole bunch of people in the animal rights movement. And I realized very few people know that so much of the modern animal rights movement comes from the world of punk rock. I'm one of them. And yeah. And I, I, which is not, I'm not like, and, and, and your perspective is I think the, the, the ubiquitous perspective that most people have. And it's also very understandable. Like I'm not, and I'm not, I don't mean that in a patronizing way. What I mean is when you look like if I'm, if you look at footage of people at a punk rock show and it's like, they're basically beating the hell out of each other, screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, like who would think that what they're screaming about oftentimes is animal rights. And so I wanted to sort of basically shine a light on this fascinating activist culture that very few people outside of the world of punk rock and animal rights would even be aware of. Well, it's funny because some of the people you have in the film have grown, they've aged. I mean, we're all aging over time, but some of them are older than you imagine uh, musicians in a punk rock band would be, but they have aged through their careers and they look, and I don't want to say this, but I'm using air quotes, they look normal and they look like you know, somebody's dad or uncle or, you know, a friend of the family, a neighbor. And these were people that went through the punk rock life and the fashion and the looks. And, and now they've chosen maybe a little softer look. Uh, but it's just, it just was surprising, the whole thing. And I want, I want to say that I know a number of the people that were in the film not most of the musicians, but I know John Joseph, for example, he's here in New York City, and I've interviewed him a number of times, and I love his passion and his energy. I've read his books and reading about Bad Brains and his bands, and and yet I never, I still never got it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's such an obscure, I mean, in some cases, and I tried in the movie to include people who've definitely had more mainstream success. You know, to show that, like, you know, the world of punk rock on one hand is incredibly underground, but it's also not. I mean, like, you know, Rob Zombie has sold millions of records, you know, Tony from No Doubt, millions of records. Uh, Dave Navarro was in Jane's Addiction and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then some of the people like, you know, like Keegan, you know, who made Cowspiracy, what the health, like the fact that he comes from the punk rock world. Um, my friend Rachel, who's Eric Adams policy director, I believe. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's the one who helped Eric become a vegan and she comes from the punk rock world. So I really tried to say like, it, sure, on one hand, there's a very underground marginal aspect, but there's also a sort of 
consistency. Like a lot of people who came from this very underground world have gone on to to reach quite a lot of people. And I know some of these, I know Rachel. I didn't know she was originally, you know, into punk rock. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, you've changed my perspective. And uh, I know that you will change many others. Can you just, we don't have much more time, but I wanted to know, why did you make this movie and who is it for? I know that when we write books and we do artwork, we're supposed to have somebody in mind someone or a group um that's a a great question and well part of the approach to the movie everything is driven by activism like it's as i said in the beginning i see it's the only thing i care about um i don't want to be a film director i don't i don't want to make money from this movie like that's we're giving it away for free and I'm doing everything in my power to structure it so I can never make a penny from it. It's, it's also how I approached having my restaurant in LA that I no longer have, Little Pine, is just to try to do the right thing for the right reasons. And I don't, I don't, hopefully I'm not saying that in a way that's self-aggrandizing or looking for an ego boost. I'm just trying to say like, this is the only, the only reason I do anything in the world of animal rights is for the cause of, of animal rights. And so the audience for this, I have no idea because it's the <laughs> nature of releasing anything into this maelstrom of wonderful content chaos. Like you put something out in the world and you have no idea where it's going to go, who might experience it, or will it just disappear into obscurity? You have like, you can't control it. Um, but the one thing I tried to do really hard in making the movie was to make it potentially sort of interesting and relevant. Uh, and also we kept our costs as low as possible so we could give it away without any anxiety. I just have one more question. I don't know how quick it can be, but the punk rock community, not all of them got the vegan ethos and when the audience was listening to to the lyrics of some of the songs not all of them got it right yeah it makes me think of like Kurt Cobain who actually comes from the world of punk rock I don't think he's a vegetarian or a, a vegan but he has that that famous lyric like I forget the name of the song it's off of Nevermind where he's like the you know the fan who likes to sing along and likes the pretty songs, but doesn't know what they mean. And so, you know, in the world of like having come, I grew up in the eighties in the world of punk rock. Like there are some of like the smartest, most insightful, most committed ethical people, but they're also a bunch of idiots. And I'm sure that there are a bunch of punk rock people who are just like proud to be eating bacon and drinking beer and voting for, you know, QAnon candidates, like, sure. And maybe I'll reach them. Probably not. Um, But it takes all kinds. And, and I do think it's important. And I'm not gonna, I don't want to sound all kumbaya. But everyone has the capacity to change. And you just hope that people change in good ways as opposed to like i just found out a former friend of mine uh is now a right-wing radio host and he used to be like a democrat voting progressive so hopefully like 
we don't change in that way, but like even, wow. you know, like, you know, the, the bacon eating meatheads, like they have the capacity to, to change. And my hope is that maybe someone watching this movie is like, oh, like these are my musical heroes. And they're all sort of saying that using animals for food and destroying the only home we have doesn't make sense. So who knows? Maybe best case scenario, I reach someone and help facilitate a good change. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will reach many, many people. I will do my best to, to share it with my community. And I know everyone you're talking to will do that. We're talking about your punk rock vegan movie with a world premiere at the Slam Dance Film Festival. And after that, how do we get it? After that, it's, it's available for free. No one should ever pay to see this movie. And how do we get it? Where do we find it? Uh, at a bare minimum, on February 1st, it'll be on YouTube and hopefully Vimeo. And then as time passes, I'm hoping to find more and more free platforms. Um, maybe it'll end up on some of the streaming services just as long as I don't get paid for it. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. And just keep doing what you're doing. It's a beautiful thing. We, the animals, the world, we need you. Well, thanks. And it was really, yeah, it was a great pleasure talking to you again. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was Moby, everybody. Woo! I had so many more questions to ask him, but we didn't get to them. So I'm just going to ask them to you, Gary. Gary DiMatteo. That was a What'd great. That was a great interview. Great film. Watched it last night with you. You watched it twice, as you mentioned yep. in the interview. But what a great guy! Just really a what wonderful a great guy. guy. And I love that his mission, basically, as I said before, is or his life's work is helping to create a world wherein animals and all sentient beings simply are free to live their own lives. Why isn't everyone like that? The baffling question. Yeah, he's very talented. I love his music. And now listening to him again, he's just a just a genuine human being. And as he mentioned, everything else pales in comparison to what he is really all about. And that is to get out this message, the message that you are well aware of. And that just that's got to warm your heart this time of year that there's somebody out there trying to do the right thing and spending so much of his own money. He doesn't want to make any money from this. He sounds kind of like we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except he has a much bigger platform and a lot more money. <laughs> but we're all baffled by the same issues. And we all ask ourselves, what is the best way we can use our short time here on Earth? And he also said he just wants to know if, why he can't do more. The number that he used, one trillion animals a year are killed for and by humans, is just You can't comprehend abstract. that number. And you know, we're not even at nine billion people on the planet. But every year we kill trillions. We raise them and eat them. Far more animals than people. We raise and kill. That's mind-boggling when you think about that, too. That number is just astronomical. So but like he said, I wish there was a magic button we could all push. But one way he's doing it is by making a documentary. The documentary is about punk rock. And like you, I was probably more familiar with punk rock than you were. But that's not saying a whole lot. Uh, but I still did not know that most of the animal rights movement comes from the world of punk rock. And that that's what this movie 
informed me about. And I really like the movie. I think it's it's done with a lot of heart and a lot of humor. And really, I mean, when you're talking about something so devastating, you have to keep it light. But there's enough information from these phenomenal musicians. He talked a lot about the mega stars that are in this documentary. And it's worth it, even if you're not vegan, just to see these folks and hear them talking about how passionate they are about the same thing. I love that. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got musicians like he was talking about uh, Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction and the Red Hot Chili Peppers and just so many other people that I've had no idea were passionate activists for for this movement. So uh, there's this idea of question authority. And I I really didn't know anything about punk rock. And I really didn't know that they were all about questioning what is going on, politics, and being in support of all the big issues. They talked about anti-racism. They talked about misogyny. They talked about all of these issues that plague society and wanting change, wanting positive change. And that included animal rights. I just didn't know. Mind blown. Because they seem so violent. But I understand it in a way because so many of them, John Joseph is a great example. Heart of gold, that guy. Heart of gold. But what a horrible childhood going from foster homes one to another and being treated so badly. So many of them. He certainly has a right to do all the screaming he wants. (laughs) But now I get it. I, I get it why they're screaming. Now, there's a piece in the film that I loved. And I don't want to give away everything in the film, but there is a scene where Moby goes to Gentle Barn, which is a lovely sanctuary, an animal sanctuary. We've talked to the founder of Gentle Barn on this program, I think, several times. Right. It's a lovely place. And what he did was he got a choir of people to sing the lyrics of one of these punk rock songs about animals. Right. Only it was arranged so that it sounded like like a Baroque choir. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And you know what it made me think of? And I didn't have a moment to, to bring this up at all and with the interview with Moby. But for five years, I organized and hosted a vegan festival in New York City at Lincoln Center, originally in Danrush Park at Lincoln Center, and then in front of the movie theater on the campus of Lincoln Center. And it was a vegan festival. We had exhibitors. And we had speakers, and I also had a spot for music. This went on from 2001 to 2006, and thousands of people came. It was amazing. And it was called? It was called Taste of Health. Taste of Health. And I always wanted to sing, okay? I'm a greedy songbird, and it was an opportunity to get on a stage at Lincoln Center. And I always wanted to sing songs about food and about animals. And there really weren't many. Or I... I didn't know that there were many. I didn't I didn't know about punk rock music. And now in that hindsight. That could have been crazy. Oh right? my god, if I got some punk rock people to come and perform or even take some of their songs and kind of adapt them. Adapt them so that you did, could hear them. As they did with the choir because the message for all, from all of those those artists is is really speaks directly to what it is that you do and what the festival did. So that would be a you should bring the festival back and make it a punk rock festival. Okay. Why not? Uh, yeah. 
I say let's do it. I say let's I talk about get, this. Well, we can get Moby. We can maybe get, get Moby, Moby behind it. Maybe get Moby to come and play at the festival. How's that? There you go. Right. And maybe bring some of his friends and do an unplugged kind of version. Yeah, I like it. Because like you said, they're all, you know, they're all looking a little, a little more plaid now. A little more like they've retired in the mountains. You right. Know, they still have the passion and, and the drive to do the work, to do the activism through their through their art. But they just look a little gentler. Yeah, with sweaters and... Yeah, it was nice. Like the Pat Boone's, <laughs> the Pat Boone of punk rock kind of thing, you know? The documentary is, is excellent. I, and it's wonderful that he's making it available to people for free. Let's talk a little bit about his book, Gristle. Okay. It is his book, right? Because you mentioned it in the interview, and I want to clear up the fact that I'm assuming Gristle is by Moby. Actually, he did write a bit in it, but there are different chapters that are offered by different authors. So it's a collection. You mentioned it in the interview, and I just was curious about it, so I, I wanted to clear that up for me, and then if anybody else was curious about the book. It's not just by Moby, it's by other writers as well. Exactly. Okay, cool. And, then, and, then, and they're not all vegan. Okay. So I will post the interview with Moby from 2010 about that book, Gristle, on the page for this particular podcast. So you could listen to that as well. But I remember there was even an article from a pig farmer in that book. They were not all vegan people who were writing in that book. Anyway, I have another question for you Yeah. that you asked Moby that I would like to ask you, Ooh. and I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> okay. How has activism changed in general for you? How has your activism changed? It's a good question. Like Moby said, it's a good question. When I was a new activist. Yeah, because what he said was, you know, his activism has changed because at the beginning, he believed that when you present people with information, you presume folks will change, especially when you give them such overwhelming evidence that what they're doing is really what's creating their health problems, the problems of the environmental degradation that we have. Mm-hmm. And you know, the list goes on and on. And when you present them with such overwhelming proof that it, all they really need to do is shift their focus from eating and raising and killing and destroying the earth to not doing it, you would think that they would change. Billion dollar question, Gary. And we ask ourselves that over and over and over. When I was younger and a new vegan, and of course, I know a lot of people have been through this. You want everyone to know. It's like, whoa, I just had this epiphany. It's almost like you get religion, you know? Right. And I hate to compare the two because personally, I think they're completely different. They are. One is the truth and one is not. You decide. (laughs) One of the things that I would do, and this has not changed, is that I prepare food and I like to feed people delicious food and have them say, oh, this is really good and it's vegan. Oh, wow. I like them to have that realization that vegan food can be delicious. I was in people's face more and I would talk about it all the time even when not asked to. Yeah, you still do a little of that. No, I wait till somebody else brings up the subject. Okay, so we were at a holiday party at our building the other day, and I wasn't with you the entire time, but I I walked away from you for five minutes, I came back to you, (laughs) and you were preaching about food. 
I know, but I didn't bring up the subject. Okay, good. So someone was feeling guilty because they had nothing for us to eat there and they asked you, well, what should I make next time? <laughs> I, Is I that don't what know. happened? I, I don't remember. But I do know that I have this filter. I have this check, checks and balances. I do not bring up the subject of veganism unless somebody else brings it up and somebody else asks about it. Now, do you think that these folks that don't bring it up don't know you're a vegan? Which is why they don't bring it up? Because when I'm with you, everybody, everybody brings knows. it up. Yeah, well, they all know me. <laughs> okay, they all know you. I'm not in the closet. Yeah. I am very out. So are you of similar belief that when you present people with information, you presume folks will change? Or are you now getting so worn down that you too feel like it's existential nihilism, that you're completely nonplussed, as Moby said, and you're just trying to yeah. continue? Well, I don't have as an emotional attachment to it. I feel that this is something that I have to do. It feels right to me. My life doesn't depend on how successful I am communicating this message. Right. Because it it's baffling. Like he said, it's just baffling. And, you know, I am blessed. I am fortunate to have a circle of friends with very above average IQs. Right. These you, are smart people. You, they are yeah. privileged. They are well-educated. And yet, some of them refuse to get it. They refuse to take it in. And that is baffling. Yes, it's this refusal to take it in that's also baffling for me because I'm star I'm I'm not like you and Moby. I haven't been a vegan for 35 years or 34 years. But the 15 years or so that I have been vegan, it's worn me down. And, I, <laughs> and I'm probably at that midway point now that you passed a long time ago where you just don't even want to hang out with people anymore because the subject will automatically come up about food. Because people usually go out and eat. And when you say, I don't eat meat, that changes people right away. Brings up something I think that they probably feel that they shouldn't be doing either. So baffled was another word that he used, which I, I'm now baffled as well. <laughs> and you know, this isn't just food. It's, as he mentioned, it's food, it's sport, and it's fashion. Why do we use animals for those things? We shouldn't. You know, when it comes to fashion, I am hoping to speak with Rebecca Capelli, who is the director of the new film Slay. We're working on finding a time to talk. Oh, that'll be great. But that film is about fashion. Right. And we need to talk about that. We need to talk about how easy it is to look great without having animal skins. And on. we do it all the time, darling, Absolutely. don't we? Absolutely. You know, I wanted to bring up something that John Joseph said in the film. I'm not going to quote him exactly because I didn't write down the exact words that he said. But he talked about eating the animals who are in the factories that have had these brief, horrible lives, tortured, and they're suffering and you watch these films, and it's just horrific. And then you slaughter them, and you eat them, and you ingest. You ingest their pain, you ingest, you ingest their suffering, you ingest what's been done to them. And this has to have an impact on the way we see life and our mood. And it's something that many people don't realize, that they're ingesting this, and that 
they're reacting to what they're ingesting. Oh, and yeah. And they don't even know. And thank you, John, for that. But that's a subject that needs to be, that needs to continue to be discussed. And that is the pain and suffering that one is ingesting when they're eating tortured animals. I would like to see a clinical study on that. I don't know that that's going to happen, but there are so many people today that are depressed. There are so many people that are filled with anxiety. And I know vegans that are. So I'm not saying that it doesn't alleviate those problems Mm -hmm. because like I say all the time, this is a very difficult planet to live on. But I think it's exacerbated when eating animal products. I, I think you're right. It's tough enough to survive on this rock with all of the pressures that are on you, but and then to also ingest pain and suffering, it has to be just the reason that there are so many people on prescription drugs and non-prescription drugs. He was talking also about a film, and I just wanted to clear up what the name of that film mm. was. Unfortunately, it had Mel Gibson in it, he said, and I thought that was really funny. But it was a very young Mel Gibson and Sigourney Weaver, and and it was with Helen Hunt, who I believe won the Oscar for the film The Year of Living Dangerously. Oh, was that good? Yeah, it's a terrific film. It's a it's a 1982 Australian romantic drama uh, film directed by a phenomenal director, Peter Weir. And it's co-written by Weir. And it was adapted from Christopher Koch's 1978 novel of the same name, The Year of Living Dangerously. And uh, it's a terrific film. I might have to cue that up sometime, Gary. Yeah. So another thing that he was talking about was that healthcare costs would be reduced by 75% if folks switch to a plant-based diet. And that is a staggering statistic. They don't even talk about health really in the film. No. It's mostly about animals and how horribly they're treated and how, how using animals for food is an abomination. Right. Boom. Period. There are difficult images. It's not throughout the film, but when they talk about animals and animal rights, they do throw in bits and pieces of chickens and cows and pigs that are in farms in these crammed cages. They have a... Done very well. It's very, very well done. But how can you do something well when you're looking at that? He's very sensitive as a filmmaker with that graphic stuff that you see in a lot of these other films. He's... It's not as graphic, but it gets the point across without having to be graphic. You see just animals crammed into horrific conditions. Then you see animals on sanctuaries, and they look so happy. Yeah. Bouncing around, being loved by one another, being loved by the people that are, that are there to take care of them. There are a few shots in the film of people hugging animals, like people with their arms all around the head of a cow. And the cow looks like it's in heaven being rubbed and loved by this human. And those are the images that I want to keep in my mind. And another thing that you you and he were talking about was how vegans are the tiny minority still. Mm. Even though things have changed, even though there are more people becoming aware of it. I mean, our mayor of New York... Is vegan. Is vegan. Is that the word is getting out, but still, we're the, we're the tiny minority. And I just find that so hard to believe that people are still putting turkeys on their table at, at the holidays and still putting things on their bodies that are from animals and going to the racetrack and betting on horses and 
it's just mind-boggling that we use animals for all of these things. It's baffling. And I've often said that it takes courage to change. It's easier to go vegan as a child or a teenager, even though you have to deal with your parents, but you don't have decades invested in eating animals. But when you do, it's that much harder to step back and make the change because you realize you've been doing so much damage. Well, he he mentioned, and I know this is how you feel as well, that everything he does is driven from an activism point of view. And uh, releasing, he called it, anything into the maelstrom uh, of content chaos and try (laughs) to make it as interesting and as relevant as possible. So um, I appreciate that. And he certainly has my vote and has changed my mind about punk rock and its roots. Now, I must confess, there are a lot of punk rock bands that I like. And I don't know if you would really consider Morrissey and The Smiths earlier work as punk rock. But the album that I saw on T-shirts in the movie, one of the album covers was The Smiths album, Meat is Murder. Mm. And that is something that is very a very powerful album cover from back in the 80s. And those folks made some great music. So there are a lot of derivatives of punk rock that that I listen to and still listen to today. That yeah, I- sure. There's a wide range of punk and hardcore music that incorporate yeah. this message. Let's talk about something else that's in the movie that you and Moby did not talk about. And that was the concept of straight edge. Oh, yeah. Straight edge. And I know you had a lot to ask him, but you only had a 20-minute time limit with him because he's a major star and his publicity people were there. Watching the clock. Watching the clock. (laughs) But uh, if someone hears the term straight edge, what are we talking about? Yeah, I didn't know. I'd never heard of it before. I heard of being straight. Right, but straight edge, as as in straight edge razor, which has a double, triple entendre there because a straight edge razor is is something that's pretty lethal Ah, and is used to... Right. Straight edge, in the context of punk rock and the people that created this term, is that they have a very clean life, clean living. Right. No alcohol, no No. drugs. No. Moby even mentioned that he was celibate for a, a, a period in this straight edge kind of clean living life. He... He has numerous tattoos over his body, and there is a VX tattooed on his face for vegan and straight edge. And straight edge is don't do any drugs, don't smoke, don't drink. Now, Moby's had a life, okay? And you can read on Wikipedia about the stages that he's been through. But he did have a problem with alcohol. Right. And he became a straight edge. At one point, he was suicidal, and now he's brought meaning to his life. We can all learn from that. Yeah. So that's a really interesting concept. And that's also in the movie. And I really found that fascinating. So I learned a lot by watching this documentary, but I was also entertained. And the nice thing is, again, I'll repeat myself. It's going to be free to whoever wants to watch it. It's going to be free. So we all need to do our part when this movie comes out. (laughs) <laughs> make people watch it. Yeah, and, I, and I'm and i actually looking into listening to some of this music. Like the Bad Brains, they look like such cool people and they looked like they were making music that I would like to listen to, but I had never listened to any of their stuff. Yeah, they have a little reggae influence as well. And the leader 
followed the Rastafarian right. ethic, and and that's I believe where John Joseph learned to be vegan. Any of you out there listening don't know about the Bad Brains? I've pulled up their Wikipedia page, and I'll just give you a quick synopsis of who they are. They're an American rock band formed in Washington D.C. in 1976. Originally a jazz fusion band under the name Mind Power, they are widely regarded as pioneers of hardcore punk, though the band's members have objected to the use of this term to describe their music. They are also an adept reggae band, while later recordings featured elements of other genres like funk, heavy metal, hip-hop, and soul. Rolling Stone magazine called them the mother of all black hard rock bands. So that's all I'm going to tell you. Bad Brains, their music sounds amazing and I can't wait to dig into it. What did they eat in those days? Oh, that and, was funny. And that's why this is this is the program where we talk about food. This is the the best, we're saving the best for last. Some of the conversations that they had about what they ate when they were on tour was hysterical. Okay, I don't want to give it away and no. talk about what they ate, but can I talk about what I ate when I was on That's tour? where I was going to say, so let's not talk about what they ate, but just know <laughs> that it's in the film that these these hardcore punk rockers are talking about the food that they would bring along with them and and how that some people would feed them and it was it's just so endearing and so wonderful and but no, let's not give it away. Back to the subject of what do you eat? Back in the late 90s, I was on an opera tour. We traveled by bus. We traveled, all the singers were American. The orchestra was from Bulgaria. Right. So we couldn't even communicate with the, with the orchestra. <laughs> but we all traveled together in this big bus to different locations. And the schedule was not designed around our well-being. Right. <laughs> So we would stop at our hotels and it would be at weird hours and I would go hunting for a grocery store. Some people in most of the people in the group would go look for, you know, a restaurant or something. But not only was I counting my pennies, I wanted to be frugal, but I wanted to eat well because opera, like like a lot of sports, it's an endurance exercise and you have to stay fit and healthy and feed yourself well. I was smart in that I traveled with a pot. And I also you traveled... like a soup pot? A soup pot, yeah. And you didn't travel with pot. No, I did not travel. <laughs> I'm straight edge. Because you're straight edge. <laughs> I, I traveled with a pot and I also traveled with a burner. Now, I brought... Wow. The, I traveled with an electric burner from the United States. Like a hot plate, right? Yeah, with an adapter. But as soon as I used it, I fried it. So I quickly bought one in Europe and used that most of the way. And I made these great one-pot meals. Right. I would just get whatever I could in the grocery store and then make these meals. And I had a roommate, the other soprano who was in my cast, and she was really happy because I would feed her all the time. But it, but it was hard to find food. It was very hard to find food. And I felt I felt some camaraderie with these punk rockers. Like, yeah, yeah I've been there. You get it. You get it. <laughs> you, both musicians, both both groups of artists. But you know, the music is different. And Gary, but... come on. When we traveled last year, we took a road trip yeah. from New York to California during the pandemic or just when it was when it looked like it was going away, but it wasn't. 
and we traveled across country, there were some places that were kind of iffy when it came to food. Sure. We spent a lot of time in grocery stores. And and that was one of the messages that I got from the film was that these, these guys were, and again, I'm not giving anything away. They were getting, they were spending time in grocery stores because that's the only place they could find something to eat. But it was so endearing yeah. to hear these guys who, what's the word I can use? They were not like me. They were not like you and me, but they were talking about tofu and tempeh and right. miso and sprouts. But, and that's what made me feel like they are just like me. Yeah, right. And so it was wonderful. It was really a wonderful film. And I don't like anything, but I liked this. <laughs> they also mentioned somebody in the film last night that I don't think we've talked about before. And again, I might be putting you on the spot. Peter Singer. Mm. They were talking about Peter Singer and his book that some of them had read, which inspired them to... Yeah, well, Peter Singer was one of the early animal rights activists, and some of what he has said is controversial. The book was called Animal Liberation, and it launched the Animal Liberation Front, which a lot of his music was based on, this this concept, this this book, this Animal Liberation book, Liberating Animals. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of this punk rock music, this forceful cry for liberation was for the animals. They were connecting the dots, definitely. They were questioning authority and wanting liberation for all living beings. Definitely people who had been abused and suffered and didn't have opportunities like other people. And then they connected the dots to animals that we were eating. And the music goes right along with that cry. It's really, it really makes a lot of sense after this movie put it in perspective for me. As, as has this program. It's all about food. Mm. Since its original publication, and this is from a quote about animal liberation by Peter Singer. Since its original publication in 1975, this groundbreaking work has awakened millions of concerned men and women to the shocking abuse of animals everywhere, inspiring a worldwide movement to eliminate much of the cruel and unnecessary laboratory animal experimentation of years past. It really sounds like a fascinating book, and I haven't read it, but I'm going to, thanks to this movie. It's an ongoing question why humans do the things they do. We're a very violent species. The question I have is... Is it something that's in our nature since the beginning to be violent? Or is it from our culture today with capitalism? Is it from the environment? Yeah. Because capitalism encourages exploitation. So I'm going to say that we are naturally violent. And I don't think it's because of capitalism, but capitalism encourages this part of us, this violent part of us. I also think we have a compassionate part. And somehow we have to adjust the balance in our society to not encourage violence and exploitation. Would I be giving away too much if I was to paraphrase one of the things that I heard in the film last night that you and I both talked about later, which was, are humans really a bunch of, what was it? Murderous psychopaths. Murderous psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, that was an expression that Moby used in the film. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I have a feeling that humans are a bunch of murderous psychopaths, just like... Yeah. I'm are much... we all really insane? Yeah. 
Well, we're trying. We're trying to bring sanity. We're trying to bring compassion. We're trying to bring kindness. We're trying to bring love and help people improve their health and and work with nature, not against nature. Yeah, that's our work. But you were talking also to Moby about angry vegans and a gentler approach and a gentler touch. Do you think that that works? Or do you think the punk rock ilk is really more the way we need to approach I don't, this? I don't think the violent approach is a good approach. And I don't think Moby thinks that either because we talked about it in 2010. In fact, he said in my interview with him back then that he thought his confrontational angry approach actually made people go further in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. He thought it did more damage than bring people to understand what he was talking Interesting. about. Interesting. I think the, the, the punk rock approach, and I have new eyes about this now after seeing this documentary, isn't necessarily angry. It's just really trying to get people to listen. The angry vegan approach the, versus the gentler approach is going to be an ongoing debate. And let's see. Yeah, I don't think screaming works because... There are many people that like punk rock music or have been through punk rock music, and they're not vegan. They didn't get the message. Now, maybe they didn't even hear it, (laughs) because when you're screaming, it's so hard to know what they're saying. But do you consider people lying down, for example? I mean, there was a lot of of clips of of protests, Mm -hmm. peaceful protests, not, not angry protests, peaceful protests. For example, there is a devastating shot in the film. Several activists are standing by a truck filled with animals who are dying in the truck. Well, thirst. they're on their way to be slaughtered. They're on their way to be slaughtered. And all of these bottles and long straws are being mm-hmm. lifted and put into the, the tiny little air holes that they have in this truck so that the animals can drink. And these people are squirting animal, uh, squirting water on these animals. It's such a gentle-looking picture, just something so devastating. That's so horrific. I think there have been numerous occasions where activists did something like that, and I, I believe they were arrested at one point yeah, and men- let go. They mentioned it in the film that people can be arrested for showing this... For showing compassion, for showing kindness. For showing and showing these horrific conditions that these animals are, are suffering through. Okay, Gary, let's wrap this up with like some Deck happy, joyful, with... delicious kind of stuff. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Because we're out of time. Wow. So I just want to wrap it up with cookies. Yes. <laughs> because it's tis the season to make cookies. To make cookies and Potato latkes. Oh, and it's the season to make potato latkes. And we have recipes for you if you have never tried them. I hope you will visit ResponsibleEatingAndLiving.com. We have the baked potato pancake, the baked potato latkes. It's grated potatoes and onions. It's delicious. And unlike the tradition, we don't fry them. We bake them. And they're much better for you because we care about you. And you can celebrate the holiday, whether you're Jewish or not. Potato pancakes are yummy for everybody. I'm not Jewish, and I love potato pancakes. And we like to make our own applesauce, and we show you how to do it. It's very easy. And then the other thing I mentioned was cookies. And I just made a batch of our biscotti, which are like crack, I will admit. I can only make them Even like Even though you're straight edge, you, you, your cookies are definitely addicting. We've had cookies now for breakfast and 
or after. I'm about treats. to have cookies after this program. <laughs> and I think my next cookie adventure is going to be with the Kuchidati, which comes Kuchidati. from your family. A recipe that I modified from your family's old traditional recipe. Absolutely, and it's delicious. And it just doesn't use any animals. But it's still delicious. It's delicious. No animals, no cruelty. And my recipes, I think, tend to be on the healthier side. Absolutely. And yet they're still decadent. Still decadent, still wonderful. And there's a big shout out to you and your cookie making prowess. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for joining me. And it was really fun today to talk to you about the interview we just had with Moby. Let's leave these Fabulous listeners with the name of the film. Absolutely. Punk Rock Vegan Movie, a new documentary written and directed by Moby. It's having its world premiere at the opening night of the 2020 Slam Dance Film Festival on January 20th in Park City, Utah. It's Moby's directorial debut. And you heard him say that he's not interested in filmmaking, but who knows? This may give him more incentive to do more films. I hope so. And I think the soundtrack of the film is music by Moby, which is really cool to listen to. In addition to the music that they play from the bands that he's interviewing. Yeah, so stay tuned and look forward to this movie, which tells the story of how punk rock became such a fertile and surprising breeding ground for vegan activism. But keep in mind, it's also a call to action, unapologetically reminding people that in a deeply broken world, it's incumbent upon each of us to stand up and fight intelligently, passionately, and loudly against injustice. Loudly. That's the key. Loudly. Okay. I'm going to be louder from now on. Oh, I love that. That warms my heart. Okay, everybody, go forth, make cookies, and be loud. Happy holidays, everyone, and and have have a a delicious delicious week. week.